thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Good morning. It's good to see everyone this morning. <clears throat> Brian called me yesterday morning and made me aware of what was going on. And he asked me, would I be willing to fill in and, and speak this morning? And I immediately said yes. And, uh, and then I got real scared because uh, I didn't really have anything ready to go right off the bat. You know, uh, my wife will, will confirm this, that I'm the biggest procrastinator in the world. You know, uh, but you know, really and truly, it works out a lot of times. I'll have things kind of going wrong with my pickup truck, and I'll keep putting it off. And you know, sometimes that thing just kind of goes away, and it just fixes itself. And uh, it's amazing how that happens. And, uh, you know, because I'm always hunting the deal to, to get something done anyway. And uh, so, uh, uh, so anyway, you know, I, I do put things off. But I've been working on a few lessons and, uh, and, uh, and I've, I've got to working on three or four and trying to compile the information. And, uh, but I didn't really have anything done or close to done and, um, or close to finished. So, but anyway, we're going to get through this. But to let you know, one of the things that I've been working on, on over the last several weeks is I've been trying to compile some of the greatest sermons that I've ever heard in my life. And, and these are sermons that, in my opinion, are the greatest sermons that I've ever heard. You know, many of our preachers of, of, of the past that we grew up listening to have, have passed on, you know, and, um, and there's such a wealth of knowledge there. And, uh, but the lesson uh, that, that, that I'm going to try to, to deliver to you this morning is, is from an outline <clears throat> from Brother V.P. Black. Now, I had talked to Neil, and he shared with me that a number of years ago that Brother Black preached a gospel meeting here. And in my opinion, that Brother Black may be the, one of the greatest gospel preachers of the 20th century. He was not a powerful man in stature, but in word and deed that he was a giant. Faulkner University, uh, it has been said by many that Faulkner University may not even be here today if it wasn't for Brother Black. But this untold number of good that he has done in the brotherhood, he was such an encouragement to me, and I heard him preach on so many of occasions as I was growing up. And as I was kind of trying to put, the get, put together uh, you know, what I had that um, I ran across a article, a newspaper article about Brother Black that Scott, that Scott Harp had wrote in 2007 when he passed away. And I think maybe Scott was preaching at the, was he at the South Haleville congregation at that time? Uh, was, did Scott Harp, Danny, did he preach at South Haleville at one time? I think he was at South Haleville when he wrote this article. Brother Black was born in Lamar County, Alabama, 
I didn't know that. I assumed that he was from Mobile, where he preached at for all those years. When you see the program on TV that Brother Lambert does, Brother Lambert is a protege of Brother Black, that he grew up preaching under Brother Black. And uh, Billy Lambert is, is who we're talking about. But Brother Black grew up, and was, he was born in Lamar County, Alabama. He was born in 1918, and he passed away in 2007. And this is one of the sermons that I heard him preach on a numerous on numerous occasions when I was growing up. But in this article that I found, that Brother Harp made mention of the fact that he was at the Freed Hardman Lectureships, I think in maybe 1993, and I may be wrong, but he said that, that Brother Black was the keynote speaker and that this lesson he delivered before thousands that morning. <clears throat> and he said the people sat in awe as he spoke. And it wasn't because of Brother Black. It wasn't because of the man he was, but it was because of the words that he spoke. And so many of the lessons that he had, he had developed over the 50-some-odd years that he preached. And, you know, when a preacher preaches for years and years and years, they're able to tweak their lessons and they're able to bring out the Word of God in such a way that, that it pricks the heart like it was intended to. But the lesson that our lesson this morning is, this morning is entitled, Behold the Christ, the Lamb of God. And our text, and I appreciate Will for reading our text this morning. It came from John chapter 1, verses 19 through 29. And we won't read it again, but remember that the Jews, that they sent uh, priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask John, who art thou? Are you the Christ in which we're looking for? And he said, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, well, are you Elias? And they said, no, I, I'm not. And they said, are you... Are you that prophet in which we seek? And he said, no, I am not he. And they said, then who are you that we might go back and, and reveal to those that sent us as to who you are? And John said that I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And it says that, that he was teaching at Bethbara beyond Jordan, and there he was baptizing. And on the, and the next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. So this morning I want us to behold the Lamb of God. In John chapter 19, verses 1 through 5, we see another picture of Jesus, and it is as he is about to be crucified. That Jesus has been turned over by the, the, the high priest and the leadership of the Jews. He's been turned over to, to Pilate, and Pilate has just had Jesus scourged, and he's had a crown of thorns placed on, a, on his head and a, and a purple robe put around him. Let me pull this up. John chapter 19, verses 1 through 5. 
And it says that Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto him, Behold, I bring forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto, him, unto them, Behold the man. Behold the man. So here the picture we see of our Savior, of Jesus, of the Christ, is our suffering Savior. But three days later, Jesus would be raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. He would be uh, given power and authority over heaven and earth, and he would, he would eventually, 40 days later, ascend to sit at the right hand of his Father in heaven. So we see that we serve not a suffering Savior, but an, but an exalted King. Jesus is described as also a prophet and our high priest. He has been identified as the prince of the kings of all the earth and the only begotten son of God. He has been compared to things great and good, beautiful and noble. Just about all the good and wonderful things in this life remind us of Jesus. When we see the light of day, we think of Jesus, who is the light of the world. When we look upon the beautiful streams and rivers and oceans, we see Jesus as the water of life. When we think about the teachings of Jesus and the words in which we spoke, we see the Christ as the bread of life. For he said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Every good and perfect gift which comes from above reminds us of Jesus the Christ. Behold what the prophet Isaiah revealed concerning the coming of the Christ hundreds of years before he was born. We read, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9 and verse 6. John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but there is one coming after me, after me whose shoes I am not able to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Matthew 3 and verse 11. The Apostle Paul said, Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death on the cross. Wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things beneath the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2 Verses 5 through 11. 
when one sets his heart and his mind and his mouth to portray the fullness of Christ, all that he is and all that he was and evermore will be, his goodness, his mercy, his grace, his love, his forgiving spirit, he has set for himself a task that all the silver-tongued orators of the earth have not been able to achieve. For with the tongues of men and angels, one could never truly describe the greatness of Jesus Christ. Behold the man. Point number two, behold the eternal existence of the Christ. Jesus was with his Father, God, and had glory with his Father even before the beginning of the world. Even before the foundations of the earth, Jesus, the Christ, was with his Father. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we read that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were created by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ was the manifestation of God in the flesh, of God's word in the flesh, rather. And in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, we read, But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old and from everlasting. And in John 8 and verse 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. In John chapter 10 and verse 30, Jesus said, I and my father are one. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, we read, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. In John chapter 5 and verse 23, we also read, Jesus said that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth the Father, or he that honoreth the Son, honoreth the Father that sent him. Jesus Christ was with his Father when they threw the stars out into space. Jesus the Christ was with his Father when they hung the moon so that it looked like a yellow rose in a garden of diamonds. Jesus the Christ was with his Father when they formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. And Jesus the Christ was with his father when they put Adam to sleep and they took a rib from his side and formed a woman. Behold the eternal existence of the Christ. Thirdly, behold the birth of the Christ. There have been billions, maybe even trillions of babies born since the beginning of the world, but no child has ever come into the world like Jesus the Christ came into the world. 
Jesus is the only child to be born of a virgin and, and to be conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. In Isaiah 7 and verse 14, we read, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And in Matthew 1 and verses 18 through 21, we read, Now the birth of Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Before the foundation of the world, Jesus rested upon the bosom of his father without a mother. But while here on earth, Jesus rested upon the bosom of his mother without a father. That is to say, without an earthly father, because he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, who created man, became man. Jesus, who made all flesh, became flesh. When Mary, that little Jewish virgin, when she went down into the mysterious valley of motherhood, down near the valley of the shadow of death, when she come up out of that valley, she held in her, she held in her arms the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world. Behold, the birth of Christ. And fourthly, behold the life of Christ. What a quiet and unobtrusive life lived this one in whom they called the carpenter's son. Even though his life here upon this earth was short and his ministry abbreviated, no man ever changed the destiny of the human race like the Son of Man did. During his life here on this earth, he not only taught against sin, but he conquered sin and death. He overcame Satan in the wilderness, and he taught in the synagogues and the temples. He preached along the seasides, and he prayed in the mountains. He healed the sick, and he cast out devils. He raised the dead, and he calmed the storms. He was goodness embodied. He was holiness in the flesh. He was simply a man without equal. Also, let us notice that no one ever made the claims that Jesus made and proved them to be true as he did. He said of himself, I am the way, I am the light of the world. 
I am greater than Solomon. I am greater than the temple. I am the Lord of the Sabbath, and he who has seen me has seen the Father. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. And I am the good shepherd. I have come down from above, and I have the power to lay down my life, and I have the power to take it up again. Come unto me, and I will give you rest. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. Jesus Christ is so great that the land in which he lived is still referred to today as the Holy Land. Now, why do you think that that is? It's not because that the people who dwell in that land are good and noble. It's not because the fertility of the soil in that land. It's not because of the beauty of that land. But the reason that the bloodiest, most violent place in the world is referred to as the Holy Land, is because the feet of our Lord and our Savior walked upon that land. For it was upon those mountains and in those valleys that He taught the people. It was within those cities and throughout those countrysides that He preached unto them the wonderful news of salvation. Indeed, that land is holy, and it shall always be holy so long as this earth shall stand. For in that land was born the Savior of the world, the Prince of Peace, the Son of the living God. Behold the life of Christ. Filthly, behold the Christ as the Master Teacher. In John chapter 7 and verse 32, the chief priests and Pharisees, they sent officers to arrest Jesus. But when they returned empty-handed, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they asked of, him, asked of them in verse 45 of that same chapter, they said, why have you not brought him? And the officers simply answered, never a man spake like that man spake. Can you imagine the report that these officers filed? Can you imagine that the questions that they were asked? Did he hide from you? Did he run? Did the people try to protect him? Did they try to bribe you? Why did you not arrest him? They simply said, never a man spake the way this man spake. And these officers were probably unaware of just how right that they really were. Because never a man spake like this man spake, because this man was the son of the living God. He was the greatest teacher that this world has ever known or ever will know. That which he taught was so simple and pure and so full of righteousness that even a child could discern their truths. Even the unlearned and simple-minded could know and understand what the perfect will of the Lord was and is. But sadly, the world rejected him then as the world in so many cases reject him now. And they did not reject him out of their lack of understanding 
but they rejected him out of the hardness of their hearts. For men choose darkness rather than light. For example, notice that Jesus taught in regards of, of, of lust. He said in Matthew 5, verses 27 and 28, Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that if a man so much as look up upon a woman to lust after her, he hath committed adultery with her in his heart. And in verses 38 and 39 of that same chapter concerning revenge, he said, Ye have heard that it hath been said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn unto him the other also. Also notice what he said about how we are to treat our enemies in verses 43 and 44 of Matthew chapter 5. Ye have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Also notice that no man could make the distinctions that Christ made. In Matthew 6 and verse 19 and 20, he said, Lay none up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and, and steal. And in verse 24, he said, No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. And when Jesus wanted to make the comparison between God's love for man and nature, he said, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much, much better than they? Matthew 6 and verse 26. And in verses 28 and 30 of that same chapter, he said, Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, clothe you, O ye of little faith? Yes, indeed, Jesus the Christ is the greatest teacher that this world has ever known. Behold the master teacher. And then lastly, behold the suffering of Christ. In Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 and 6, we read, But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was buried for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of, his, of us all. No one has ever suffered more than the sinless Son of God. The only truly perfect man to ever live upon this earth was killed as a common criminal. Only his death 
and his suffering was anything but common. The suffering of the crucifixion, it produced the kind of suffering that we can hardly imagine. In the life, in the society in which we live, we can, we can barely fathom the suffering that our Lord endured. It's been said that when our Lord prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane was located in a valley. It was located in the Kidron Valley. And there was a brook that flows through that valley called the Brook of Kidron. And it is said that most likely as our Lord was praying that night and he sought just a friend to watch with him, that as he was praying and contemplating the suffering that he was about to endure, that during this entire time that the smell of blood was strong in that garden. Because of all the sacrificial animals that had been slain in the city, that it flowed down from the city and into this brook that flowed through that garden, that it's been said that most likely that as he prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me, that the smell of blood was strong in his senses. That when we think about the scourging that our Lord endured, you know, many people died as a result of just the scourging. But we need to understand that scourging was not in and of itself, that scourging was as much of the cross as the cross itself. The Romans did not invent the cross. They did not invent crucifixion, but rather the Romans perfected it. It's said that, that maybe Darius the Great of the Medes, that, that they come up with crucifixion some 500 years earlier. But whenever one was crucified... They were always, always scourged beforehand. And the scourging in which they received was not some simple beating, some ordinary whipping or, that we might think about. But the, the scourging that our Lord endured was the type of beating that literally ripped his flesh from his body. That it has been said that there were those that the scourgings were so horrific that they were literally disemboweled. That most all scourgings were so excruciating that one's shoulder blades were left completely exposed. That there was no more skin, that there was no more flesh left covering his shoulders. So as that it is said that more than likely that our Christ, that his shoulder blades stood out as white caps in a sea of blood. And after our Lord was scourged and beaten almost half to death, a very short time later, he would have that crossbeam laid upon his back, on that back that had been so shredded and mangled. And as he made his way to the cross and fell beneath the weight of his cross, 
And when they arrived at the hill of Golgotha, we do not know where that is today from my understanding. We know it was outside the city wall at some point, but we do not know where Golgotha was. But when he made his way to Golgotha, and as they laid him down and impaled him to that cross, when he had spikes, not these little small nails that some people envision, but he had these great spikes driven through the lower hand, which we consider the wrist, but they considered the hand. When he had those spikes driven through his, through his lower hand and through his feet, they would bend your knees slightly because, you see, death on the cross came from asphyxiation. And they would leave your knees slightly bent that as you hung on that cross, all of your weight fixed and hanging on those spikes that are driven through one's flesh, that you would have to, you would have to push up with your legs in order to get a breath of air because the way one is stretched out on the cross, that his lungs is so positioned that you can't get a breath, that you can't breathe. And the only way that you can get a breath is to push up with your legs to be able just to get a breath of air. Our Lord hung on that cross for six hours. Behold the suffering of our Christ. This morning we've talked about the, we've beheld the man and we've beheld the eternal, his eternal existence. We've beheld his birth and we've beheld his life. We've beheld him as the master teacher and we've beheld his suffering. In lieu of all these facts and in lieu of the supreme greatness of our Lord, how could any of us reject so great of a Savior? How could we reject so great a salvation? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never believed in the Son of God. That you've never believed enough to be motivated to obey. See, the religious world talks about belief and they talk about believing but the kind of belief that the Bible talks about is a, is a sacrificial kind of belief. It's a complete surrender. Have you surrendered your life to Christ this morning? Maybe you're here and you've never been baptized into Christ. Maybe you've never put Christ on in baptism. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And he that believeth not shall be damned. It doesn't get any more simpler than that. And the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 6 and verses 1 through 6, he said, Know ye not that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ have been baptized into his death. Friends, if you want to enjoy all the blessings that come in Jesus Christ, our Lord, the only way to get there is to be baptized into his death, 
into his suffering because it's when that we're baptized into his suffering that we, can, that we make contact with the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that when we're raised up out of that watery grave of baptism, we, we can walk in newness of life, having our sins washed away and being added to his church. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you've said and done things in a public way and you need to make those things right in a public way. Maybe you're just here this morning and you need the prayers of this church. Whatever your need may be, we pray that you would come as we stand and sing. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for its community. Yeah.